Hello, my name is Gabriel Schenk, and this is a short introductory lecture to the fantasy writer Diana Wynne-Jones. Diana Wynne-Jones was born in 1934, and she died in 2011. She was a prolific writer of more than 40 fantasy novels, translated into over 20 languages, and primarily wrote for children and young adults. If I were forced to summarise Jones's work in just three words, I would say magical, inventive and joyful. And the, uh, the focus of this mini lecture is Jones's ability to combine different types of story and different story sources in order to create uh, an inventive, magical and joyful um, mixture of all of these and, and in order to create something new as well. So um, let's begin with a brief look at Jones's early life. She was born in London, uh, but was of Welsh heritage. And in an autobiographical essay published in 1993, Jones wrote, I think I write the kinds of books I do because the world suddenly went mad when I was five years old. And she's referring to the outbreak of the Second World War, which meant that she had to be evacuated from London and living the countryside um, which uh, she um, moved to in 1939. Uh, she moved around a lot in this period and in the summer of 1940 she ended up at Lakehead in Cumbria uh, and this is in the north of England. It's a very beautiful area and you can see in that photograph just how stunning it is. It looks like a kind of fantasy world itself and this is kind of what, what Diana Wynne-Jones meant when she said this is why I write the kinds of books I do um, is because she was moving around so much in this area and, and fantasy was starting to um, merge with reality. She writes, here were real mountains, lakes, brooks racing through indescribable greenness. I was amazed, intoxicated with the beauty of it. And if you look in this photograph, you can see a lake in the background and Diana Wynne-Jones sailed on this lake as a child in a boat that was part of the inspiration for Arthur Ransom's children's story, Swallows and Amazons. And the previous occupants of the house that Diana Wynne-Jones stayed in were the inspiration for the children in that story. And then later she studied at Oxford University where she was taught by J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, fantasy writers themselves. And she later reflected, looking back, I see both of them had enormous influence on me. So we get the sense of fantasy and reality merging together, different sources, different influences. Um, and this is, I think, why um, she uh, she ended up writing these, these incredible fantasy works that combine different ideas and cross boundaries. So to... Uh, talk more about that and the idea of crossing genres. Um, let's look at this quotation from Diana Wynne-Jones in her essay, Writing for Children. She says, It doesn't seem to me that genres are per se necessary. There's no reason why you shouldn't mix them up a bit and change them around and make something new. This is what I like to do. And this is what she does in her series, The Crestomancy Books. These are seven books and they're all about magic. And you might be thinking, ah, this sounds like Harry Potter. But it actually isn't anything like Harry Potter. Because the Harry Potter series is set in the same place and has the same characters and moves through year on year. 
The Crestomancy series is a bit more like C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, in which every book is different, and although some characters cross over, most of the books uh, have their own sets of characters, and the only recurring character is the figure of Aslan. Crestomancy is a bit like that, in that uh, the figure of Crestomancy is in each book, but Crestomancy isn't just one person. Crestomancy actually refers to a job title. Someone in the government, in a parallel world um, where magic exists, and Crestomancy's job is to supervise magic in that world, as well as in other worlds, uh, like our own, such as our own. Is, uh, our own is, is one um, uh, example and uh, a location that is visited in this series. Uh, and make sure that magic is under control in the places where it should be and isn't leaking out into other worlds where it shouldn't exist. Um, the focus of these books changes quite a lot. So uh, in the first book published in 1977, Charmed Life, um, you see Crestomancy as an adult. Uh, he is Christopher Chant and the young uh, boy Eric uh, cat chant um, sort of uh, sees him as a, as a bit of a villain to begin with and then as the book progresses we we get a different perspective on that character in the book um, the lives of Christopher Chant we see that character as a young boy himself and he's interacting with the at the time the current post holder of the Crestomancy position who is another character entirely um, so both these books are very much focused on the Crestomancy, but um, different people occupy that position. There are other books, such as The Magicians of Caprona, uh, which is a sort of almost a retelling of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. It's about these feuding families. Or uh, her novel Witch Week, which is set in a world where magic has been banned and um, in a boarding school where some of the students are developing magical abilities and have to hide them. Um, these two novels, Crestomancy comes in at the end as a secondary character in order to tidy things up. So, um, you know, sometimes Crestomancy is the focus, sometimes he's a side character, sometimes one person is in the role of Crestomancy and sometimes another person is in the role of Crestomancy. So you can see um, what Jones was saying when she said, you know, we don't need... Um, fixed genres. We can just mix stuff up. We can be inventive. We can be. We can have fun with this. Um, and this is what she does in all her books. So if you think about her novel *Fire and Hemlock*, um, she's drawing on Scottish folk tales, um, but she's sort of doing different things with them, new things with them, creating something new. In *Eight Days of Luke*, she's drawing on Norse mythology. In *Hexwood*, she's drawing on. The Legends of King Arthur. And in Castle in the Air, she's drawing on the Arabian Nights. But um, even in these stories, she's not just using all stories in a new way, she's also combining other stories together. So Castle in the Air has elements of Grimm's fairy tale, The Twelve Dancing Princesses, as well as The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. The fantasy scholar Farah Mendelssohn um, describes this as a kind of remixing that uh, Jones uh, does, doesn't just repeat other 
elements of stories, but she kind of brings them together. She she changes the elements of it to create something new. And the scholar Susan Eng talks about how um, Jones re-energizes old tropes from mythology um, to renew them and give them new energy. So I'm going to give an example of this um, as, as my kind of uh, ending point of this little introduction. And this is a quotation from her novel, um, Howl's Moving Castle, one of my favorite books. And this book uh, contains the idea of a seven-league boot. And a seven-league boot is something that's featured in European mythology and folklore. And usually you put on two boots and every stride you take, you go forward seven leagues, which is quite a far distance. In Jones's version, they only have one boot and they have two characters. So they both have to share the boot. They both put their feet in one of the boots and they take a step forward. And this is what happens. Point yourself towards upper folding before you boot, put the boot down, Michael warned her. Now tread. Zip! The landscape instantly rushed past them so fast it was only a blur, a grey-green blur for the land and a blue-grey blur for the sky. The wind of their going tore at Sophie's hair and dragged every wrinkle in her face backward until she thought she would arrive with half her face behind each ear. The rushing stopped as suddenly as it had begun. Everything was calm and sunny. They were knee-deep in buttercups in the middle of Upper Folding Village Common. A cow nearby stared at them. Beyond it, thatched cottages drowsed under trees. Unfortunately, the bucket-light boot was so heavy that Sophie staggered as she landed. Don't put that foot down, Michael yelled too late. There was another zipping blow and more rushing wind. When it stopped, Sophie found herself down the folding valley, almost into marsh folding. Oh, drat, she said, and hopped carefully around on her shoe and tried again. Zip. Blur. And she was back on upper folding green again, staggering forward under the weight of the boot. She had a glimpse of Michael diving to catch her. Zip. Blur. Oh, bother, wailed Sophie. So that's an example of her, of Jones taking an element from folklore, doing something new with it, doing something inventive, something joyful, and most of all, something magical. So I hope I've inspired you to read uh, Diana Wynne-Jones if you haven't done so already. And um, thank you very much for listening. <laughs>